Let's uh, let's get back to the square this week. We are we are at the square, listeners. I have returned from where the fuck did you say I went to Maine? Yeah, you were up in Maine uh, doing that town clerk position. That town clerk job. Yeah, I it, it didn't it didn't pay what I wanted it. You know, it <laughs> nothing compares to the sweet sweet Patreon money here. <laughs> so um, so I decided to come back. No, in all seriousness, uh, just quick aside. Um, I did have oral surgery last week, um, which is why I wasn't on the episode. You may notice I might have a little bit of a lisp or I sound a little weird. Um, so fuck you. First off, I, we're, we're just going to roll with it. It's my show. Go fuck yourself. If you have a problem, um, I get to experience what it's like to have a little bit of, uh, you know, speech impediment for a while. I have a, a huge, uh, representation in- matters. Re. Yes. Yes. I have a huge gap in my teeth now too, for, I hear it's in who's that model. There's like some model who's like got a gap teeth or like David Letterman, David Letterman, Michael Strahan. Yeah. Um, Alfred E. Newman. I mean, all the stars. Everybody looks good with a little bit of you know space between your front teeth. So that's what I'm going for. But uh, no, that's the personal stuff aside. So getting used to the, the, the sound of my own voice and all this this uh, nonsense. But we have with us. We don't have Snake. We don't have yeah. Ryan. Yep. But we for the first time in the history of this podcast, we gave Snake the week off. No, and he deserves a break. He works so hard. We love him so much. So he, we're holding it down. Hopefully we. Uh, we're not like Homer Simpson trying to make breakfast and pouring uh, milk in and it's setting it on fire. <laughs> right. That's how I feel touching the recording equipment. Um, that something's just going to randomly set on fire. Uh, but we do have myself, Ree. We do have Diamond Jim. And special guest, uh, Matt Deering. Hello, everybody. Matt, how should, should we introduce you as, as Man About Town, uh, former political staffer? Is there, is there anything you prefer nomenclature-wise here? Uh, formally, form, uh, formally, um, formerly, excuse me, employed. Um, I think my new name, at least, um, taking the Buffalo news article that was written about me into account should, I should drop the Deering because that is in fact, uh, my white ancestor's name. It is my slave <laughs> name. I will now be going by Matthew X. <laughs> According to, uh, in light of what the Buffalo news published, I am, uh, soon to be Malik Shabazz too. Okay. <laughs> Woo! All right. Well, Matt, thank you, uh, thank you for joining us here, man. And no problem. I would have loved to bring the other two, but they uh, were otherwise indisposed. I figured the three of us have told the story so many times. Yeah. Um, there's enough back information if anybody wants to hear from Brendan or Nicole that uh, you're able to find it pretty easily. Yeah. Especially thanks for joining because, like, I understand we we are recording this on Memorial Day, so it makes sense that I guess not everybody can be here. People are doing. I don't know, happy horseshit with their families. Yeah, I, people have families that they enjoy spending time with. That's that. wild. Right. That's, I actually, my family was having a barbecue and I left to go do this. So <laughs> it shows you where my priorities yeah, are. Seriously, Jim. <laughs> so and this, and this all kind of ties together, uh, really, because this is, you know, this is still the story of, um, of the day, of the hour, of the year, of the decade, whatever, is the, uh, the terrible, the terrible mass shooting atrocity at, the Jefferson Avenue uh, tops a couple weeks back. And so as we live in that world, post that world, um, even with the, the heinous shooting in, uh, in Uvalde in Texas, um, we'll, we'll be talking today, you know, not just about the specifics of what happened in um, on the side, but also, you know, gun control. And and we'll, we'll touch on a lot of things here, but I want to start here. So Matt, I know that, you know, up until a couple weeks ago, obviously, and very famously, you worked in in Pat Burke's office. Um, what was your What was your role 
in I the office. I was the director of community relations. So I was, uh, you know, tasked with engaging with the constituents in any number of ways, whether it was organizing an event um, or answering the phone and, and talking to them or dealing with their complaints. I kind of proudly called myself the office uh, social worker because so much of the work that I did involved like honestly being the last person that somebody called to try to solve a problem that they were having, which by far and away is the part about the job that I do miss the most was uh, the people who I, I used to work with. And so in case you're living under a fucking rock, I mean, we teased this, We not we, I didn't, but Jim teased this last week, the story that we'd be talking uh, to one of the former Burke staffers here. Now, and not me. And not, not you, not you, <laughs> but, and I know you, you've repeated this story ad nauseum, I'm sure, uh, but for the listeners who are not aware of the situation, first off, Pat Burke is the assembly member, um, what's the district? 142nd. 142nd. Famously held previously, um, uh, Greatest man on the planet, Michael P. Kearns, yeah, and Schroeder. Mickey Schroeder. Eric Bowen. Eric Brief Bowen, that's right. briefly. Who? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's a seat with... Prestige isn't the, the word for it, but it, it's of some renown, you know, at least locally we know. It's it's basically like the um, the Irish guy seat. For, for Yeah, I mean, realistically, that is what it is. Yeah. You know, we, we all know it. Uh, but I say this as somebody from South Buffalo. I can say that. So you get the pass, Ree. Yeah. I, I get, oh, buddy, I get the pass. I grew up in, uh, I grew up in South Buffalo, the first ward, the valley. Like, I, I know. Damn, I bet that was rough. You know, you say Especially that. Especially now once the sun comes out. You're looking mad brown right now, my guy. <laughs> Dude, you say that, and like, other than not being able to pronounce my name, because I sound so much like a white guy, I've got, like, even after 9-11, because I'm, I'm Arab, like, my dad is from Yemen, so even after 9-11, I did not get that much shit surprisingly it's because people probably just assumed that you might be italian see i'm too dark i can't get away with that <laughs> my voice is just as white as yours is right. i um i i i get i get by in south buffalo but but you know south buffalo and and the surrounding area is not necessarily known as the most progressive places sure. but but all this is to say after the terrible shooting on on the jefferson avenue tops Give us a story. What what happened in your words, Matt Deering? Okay, I've really tried to parse this down over the past couple of weeks, but it's difficult uh, because the details really, like the devil is really in the details with how this all kind of went down. But um, and, after, this, and this and sorry, I mean this doesn't have to. No, you don't have good. to re you know rehash the WBN story if you don't want to. Really, just like. A Cliff, Cliff Notes version for the listeners or for yeah, yourself. Yeah, sure. So basically, after the shooting, we all talked as a team. We all, I mean, the f four, I guess five of us, the five of us were all, are all, at least privately, personally, very progressive people. We think that, you know, hateful ideologies like white supremacy, these crazy bullshit conspiracy theories. I can say that here, right? We're on the internet? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. These bullshit conspiracy theories like the Great Repli Replacement, they deserve to be criticized and called out and particularly in a community like the 142nd district and i and i still believe what i said on the radio which is that you know the people there i think are fundamentally good but they deserve an opportunity to show that i think and um sort of ascend to uh to, to fill a void that i think they could do and you know they get a bad rap i think from people around erie county but we talked about doing some sort of a public event in the district, maybe at Cass Park, some sort of 
rally to sort of show support for the black community. Pat was all on board. He had the idea to do like a hands across Buffalo kind of thing. And again, not to interrupt you, but Cass Park, you know, if you, if you know the area was the site where during the Trump administration, they did attempt to have a sizable white supremacy rally. Right. So to, to do something like that in the exact same spot where that happened would be a lot stronger than saying, you know, let's do it at the train depot in Orchard Park. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so we, we wanted to do something like that. And then uh, that was like a Saturday into Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, Pat called Brendan and I, my former coworker, now friend for life, I think. Um, and he told us that he wanted to give a speech on the floor of the assembly where he called out specific Western New York you know, people who have engaged in either pushing the great replacement, Confederate apologetics. I'm talking Tim Howard. Yeah, Tim Howard. I'm talking, uh, you know, DiPietro. Mm-hmm. Um, all the shitheads. Orticelli, the Robbie De Niro, mm-hmm. Palladino, all the rest. And um, and then he wanted to sort of take a point-by-point history of how the theory began, how it spread. And I have a bit more knowledge of it just because, frankly, when I've been in between jobs, I spend a lot of time Funny enough, in a lot of these Discord servers where these right-wing people are trying to debate and spread their ideas, and um, for a time I was sort of well-known on the internet for smashing the fash rhetorically, so uh, I wanted to put some of the other knowledge I had into this piece of work, and Brennan and I met up that night, did a bunch of work on it, and the next day, basically what happened was we had a complete and total other side of the coin type situation. So... What we didn't know, and and like I've seen people, you know, the denizens of the Buffalo News comment section saying like they didn't know that they didn't know that uh, he gave the speech. We didn't know he gave the speech because he didn't tell us he gave the speech, which frankly was like we never knew what was going on ninety fucking percent of the time. Um, and so we got on this phone call after sending him like a mock tweet in response to that crazy Elise Stefanik tweet, mm-hmm. and. Um, it became clear to us pretty much immediately that we were reneging on everything that we had talked about doing the previous day. And um, it was, it seemed to be because of two things. It was that the new congressional district lines had come out and Lackawanna was included at, for, at the time anyway, in the Republican district to the South. I, the numbers are all messed up in my head now, but you know, he said that he thought the town was going to get a lot more Republican, which I you know, demographics don't actually work that way. He talked about what the, the black caucus, AKA the people who control the assembly majority. It's a, you know, it's a minority majority and the legislature is tyrannical. So the majority has complete and total control. So essentially the assembly, much to the chagrin of some people is controlled by blacks more or less. Um, and their, their idea was that they're going to do all these pro pro black policies. And this is again, a direct quote from the call. They're going to do food policy for black people. They're going to do housing policy for black people. They're going to do jobs policy. They're going to do education policy specifically for, for black people. And we're not going to go out. That was a direct quote. And essentially the vibe was that we're not going to go out on this issue because essentially we don't want to look like we give too many fucks about black people. That was really what the vibe was. Perish the thought. I mean, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, uh, Oh, you mean you want to go and help the, the people that the demographic, the community who just literally suffered a terrorist attack. How dare you? Yeah, I mean, I, I get that that's a totally insane prospect, you know, to, like, address something head on. Um, and 
there was, you know, we referenced the Sunday conversation. We were like, you know, you wanted to give this big speech. We made this pretty great research document. Like I said, on the BEN interview, like I, I took a class about the sort of lead up to the civil war when I was in college. And, uh, I have this book of these letters from these guys who are called secession commissioners from States like Alabama. So there was their job essentially to try to convince influential people in other States, in other slave States to secede and then it was also, uh, it included the speeches, many of the speeches that were given to introduce these uh, measures in the state legislatures to actually secede from the union. And almost every single one of them essentially mentions this, the core tenet of the great replacement theory, that there are more blacks in the southern states at the time than they were, they were outnumbered, and that frankly you needed to maintain what they call the peculiar institution, not only in order to maintain their economic freedom and power, but also to prevent miscegenation and black political control of those states. So that was what I relied on. Brendan sort of did a more contemporary history of it. And uh, we really wanted to lean into that. And it wasn't a contentious, it wasn't a super contentious conversation because we were all frankly dumbfounded by the way that it all went. We sat there silent for most of it. Um, And again, I was told, get those petition signatures for whatever the name of the party that, again, we never decided on. Initially, he wanted to call it the uh, Puck Politics Party. Yes, this is real. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, like common sense. And then for three weeks, it was like, we're actually not going to do this because the district is fine. And then it came back up that day, seemingly, I think, at the uh, in a reaction to the new district lines coming out. So the next day, the, the call ends. We're all super dejected. We're like, what happened? We were really we thought we were about to do something big you know he talked about wanting to give more floor speeches anyway um frankly you know it it helps raise your profile i don't hate it um i think it's a good idea um so we all went home we all were just like dejected we're like well we'll come in tomorrow and we'll try to you know see if we can move him again um and sort of back closer to that original position because again like we are supposed to give him advice right and a big reason i was hired is because you know i i worked on the mcmurray campaign and um i worked on you know no we'll we'll have to talk about that a little bit at some point matt by the way just put a pin on that but keep going (laughs) yeah i should say full disclosure uh, me and nate are still pretty we stay in good touch we're good friends but yeah the campaign was it was an interesting experience for sure very formative for me but any any questions you have i'd be happy to answer them at some point but so i I have like a, a certain I think political acumen and I looked at the situation and said, I think this is a, you're going to get more bees with honey than vinegar type thing. Like nobody's going to, you're, you're putting people frankly in a weird spot where it's like, if my assemblyman says we got to come out against white supremacy, do I not say anything? Cause that makes me feel like I'm part of it. But then, Oh, do I not do it because of, you know, SJW cancel culture. This was about mental illness, not about white supremacy, which by the way, I hope, um, I hope Pat's proud that those are the people who are agreeing with him on social media are the people who say that actually this had nothing to do with white supremacy or that he's right and white supremacy isn't really a problem. Right. Well, my other thing is like, look, right, speeches on the floor of the assembly, when's the last time somebody in fucking West Seneca cared? Sure. Right? I mean, it, you're right. Like, it raises your profile, mostly among the other members of the assembly and among, right. like, the a media elite and, like, people who really pay attention. Right. But the average voter doesn't give a shit. So he can make a speech about it all day long, and it's not going to affect his re-election campaign. Sure. Yeah, and, that's and, true. And then the other thing is, like, you know, if the assembly is going to, if they want to 
institute a bunch of initiatives, whether it's, you know, uh, a white supremacy task force. Yeah. Or no, that's a crazy idea. You shouldn't do that. Right. Or, or if you, or or if, if you want to say, Hey, you know, we have a segment of the population that's, you know, currently very actively under attack and has been under attack essentially for, I don't know, how many years has this country existed? Yeah. Um, and then before that, right. And, and before, and before, before that for plenty oh, as well. Um, again, those are specific votes that like most, the average person doesn't pay attention to. Sure. Yeah, like, no, I like, agree. I like the idea that like, you know, he, that doing this would have hurt him in the election. I have a real problem with it because most of the stuff nobody pays attention to. The only people who pay attention are inside baseball. I think that's true. And I think uh, certainly a uh, floor speech, I think again, like, yeah, the goal is to maybe it's to go viral or to like be a person from be the white one of the white elected officials from who actually represents the city right to say something about it and um because frankly like even still even if the message only goes out online or whatever it's like we all sort of in the sjw circles which i call myself sort of tongue-in-cheek but also somewhat seriously um you know like i'm never going to be able to go to white people and be like please you know, don't be racist. Mm -hmm. It's got to come from other people who are part of the community. And again, like this is a thing that we've talked about in that office all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like, you know, whether it's who loved the new Dave Chappelle special, it wasn't me Um, (laughs) or, you know, whether or not how how do transgender people participate in sports or gender roles and all these things. Like it's, it's a political office. We talk about all these issues. And so, um, but anyway, getting back to sort of the chronology of the story and then we can branch off from there. Tuesday morning, I get the call. It's like, I don't know, nine, it's maybe nine, 10. I had like, I have ADHD. So I forgot to take my having ADHD, you take medicine. And sometimes you forget to take your medicine because you have ADHD. So I, cycle. I had like left my house. I don't know. I, I was five minutes away and I realized I hadn't taken it. So I spun around and, and was headed back and I was almost at the office and he called me and I, you know, I just, I didn't know what it was about. Um, initially and it became clear quickly he wanted to know the deadline for the petitions and i was like i'm pretty sure it's may 31st which is the last day to submit them he didn't believe that that was the date we kind of talked about that i told him i wasn't in the office yet and much like in the monday conversation where somebody made a great point online that brendan and i had done three hours of work on a sunday night and yet the fact that we took lunch at like 150 was a big problem mm-hmm. when we were all on lunch together for the same hour anyway but whatever um, so he wanted to know if I, if I told Alyssa, our chief of staff, if I would be late and like, we have a group chat. Of course I said, Oh no, if I had to take my medicine, I'll be five minutes later or whatever. Then it went to, we need to get volunteers together to get these petitions, you know, by, by this date. And I was like, okay, like I never refused to do it. Um, but I did say that like, realistically, nobody should give a fuck about this. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't. And frankly, for me, part of it is that like on Saturday when the shooting happened, I had like, listen, I had just gotten my eyebrows threaded right before it happened. I was on my way to my buddy's house to, for some reason, smoke black and milds on the porch. <laughs> and then I was going to my school auction, the Park School of Buffalo. Shout out to anybody who went there or has kids who go there who's a listener. Um, and so I was just like rolling through the whole day. Sunday, I still hadn't really processed it. And Monday was the first day. Frankly, I drove into work and had a complete breakdown because I drove by the tops finally. So I hadn't really even processed the gravity of what had happened. I mean, again, for context, uh, it it seems like this is probably the biggest anti-black massacre since Tulsa. 
Um, there may have been one more, but they, there were reports that a lot more people not, died. Not non-government division. Non, uh, <laughs> yeah. Non- <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Not Black Panther right, right. division. Yes, right, right, yes, yeah. that's true. Right, yeah, yeah. That's, or, ignoring Philadelphia. Yeah, ignoring Philly, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I was still sort of trying to grapple with the gravity of it, and I had spent the night that Monday, after being depressed by the fact that we seemingly weren't going to do anything, like talking to my mom and my sisters, they were like, you know, these threats are coming into their schools in the city of Buffalo. There's no threats going out to, o- you know, I, not that I knew of. There weren't threats going out to OP that, you know, we're going to come shoot up a bunch of black people at Orchard Park High School. Marking yourself safe on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My favorite, my favorite thing I did <laughs> or my favorite thing that I saw people do rather. I'm, I, and I, I mean, I'm not even on technically the east side. I'm two blocks. I'm a block and a half to the west. You know, I, I'm nine tenths of a mile from the tops. But um, so I, I, I tell him, I'm like, you know, man, like I think. And it wasn't angry. It was just like, I was sort of pleading with him. And, and again, for context, Pat and I have been friends since 2017. I mean, we used to drink together at Jordan's Ale House in South Buffalo once or twice a weekend. We've been to Bill's games together the whole nine yards. So like, I'm not just the guy who mm-hmm. he found my resume on Indeed and and he hired me. And I said, you know, like, I think people are going to think there's probably something more important going on. And he got, he didn't like that, you know. And I don't think most elected officials like hearing that they're not the most important thing on the fucking planet, but you know, but so, so goes the world. But I, I mean, I think I, I do think that most of them, especially ones who represent the city of Buffalo would have acknowledged that point on the fucking Tuesday after the Saturday massacre. The, the I'd like to, th- I mean, I would certainly, I, I would like to think so. And the truth is I, I do, I do think so. Right. And, and I don't want, I don't, I don't want this to fall by the wayside before. And I, I don't want to interrupt the story again too much, but you're fine. You know, him talking about these independent nominating petitions, during government work hours is the independent petitions are a political thing. It's crazily wrong for him to be doing this. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wasn't in the office yet. So again, I, I like, that's why I didn't lean on that point too hard. Cause like, you know, I wasn't in the office yet. And if I had been, yeah, maybe that would have, yeah, but he didn't know you weren't in the office yet when he called you. I guess I yeah, yeah you know. I mean, because it, it, it Diamond Jim more like Phoenix Wright over here, <laughs> Ace Attorney. I mean, he he thought you were. It, it was actually a point of contention for him that you weren't in the office already. <laughs> I mean, that is true. I'm not offering my opinion or any sort of statement about of my belief on it one way or another, but. It is true that I guess if it was a problem that I wasn't in the office, he was expecting that I'd be there at that time. Right. So you take the call. Yeah. So I take the call and. Um, like I said, I told him I thought something more important might be going on. And he said, well, uh, we're going to try because my colleagues are all going to have another ballot line this fall and they're going to know what my team wasn't doing. Now, sure, that that could be true. But like like I said, also, we talked about this independent nominating petition early on when it sounded like some of the other electeds uh, like Assemblywoman McMahon and Assemblywoman Wallace were going to be doing some sort of joint party thing. But thematically, when it comes to that 142nd district, it's always a go it alone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about it for you know maybe a week, and then it, it fell off. The new you know the assembly lines didn't get challenged, and he said, yeah, we probably don't really need to worry about this. Like we're probably going to be fine. We got basically all Lackawanna. It and, you know this candidate S- Sandy Magnano or whatever mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be. We thought she might have been a placeholder, and they were going to fill it with somebody who's a bit more serious and her candidacy wasn't entirely based around her being a lady who posted on Facebook during COVID about masks and vaccines being tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, so we seemed fine. And then I think that was this redistricting that again, sort of flipped 
the script on it. Um, and then I told him other things would be more important. He didn't like that. We ended up uh, going back and forth. Um, and I, I, I said, you know, the team felt really dejected after that call yesterday. Like, we feel like we should be doing more. You know, we're missing, it's the saying about Democrats, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> but more than that, like, we, the three of us, felt, and Alyssa wasn't there for the call, she'd been out sick. So, like, that's why she's really a bystander in, in this entire thing. Um, and I feel bad for her for being trapped between, you know, I, I don't know if that's how she feels, but that's how it looks to me is that she's like stuck in a, in a weird place. And I feel bad because of that. Um, but I said, the team felt dejected. You know, we feel like we should be doing more. And, um, you know, you said you were going to give a floor on the speech of the assembly. And he said, well, I gave a speech to the black caucus and I said, okay, but like, and so that was when, when I, that was when I learned about it was at like nine thirty on Tuesday morning. There, there were articles at the time that had been published about this rally. No mention of him speaking was there. He didn't talk to any reporters, seemingly, or at least any of his quotes weren't included in, uh, in any of the articles. And I have pretty good reason to believe that that was intentional. So he told me about that, and I said, you know, it's, I think I probably said, and I, I said on the radio, that it's very easy for a white person to go in front of all their black friends who they rely on for resources for their district to go and do... <laughs> I'm going to editorialize a little bit here. Uh, they, you can go do a shuck and jive in front of your black friends. It's like a fun reverse minstrel type situation. But then when you come home and want to talk to your w- working class white constituents in West Seneca Orchard Park in South Buffalo, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this was bad. And um, time to get back to psilocybin or whatever. Right. It's I mean it's it's very much like you know if you're hanging out with your black friends and, and you know and they're like some and they're like oh yeah well I you know, I I, I, I'm really not racist and, and I, I want to fight the good fight. And then you go back to your white friends and one of them drops the N word. You you don't say anything. Yeah. And you sit there quiet. You, you exactly. Just, you just, you just, you just kind of turn your eyes. Yeah. No, 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 it, it, exactly. And I've, I mean, and I've uh, always, I mean, <laughs> listen to how I talk. I've always existed in white quote unquote spaces. I mean, I went to Elmwood Franklin. I went to Canisius. I went to park school. Right. So, Park not 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 very overlap demographic wise with Burgard not as high. No, as yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and so I'm used I'm used to that. I'm used to like knowing that people who had people are having a different conversation when I'm not there versus the one when I am there. Um, and I guess it has given it. It certainly gave me a chip on my shoulder as a kid. You know, shout out to I, ho- I hope whoever wrote this comment on Reddit listens to this. They said I went to school with him. It doesn't surprise me. And it's like t- just to be clear even though the Buffalo news would like me to be Matthew at Matthew Shabazz, um, that any like animus that maybe as a middle schooler, I displayed toward my, you know, as the one black person toward my 34 white classmates who didn't really include me in anything. And I was, I mean, I had to show up my shoulder. My parents were divorced. So yeah, maybe I was like an angry kid, but all I saw at the end of the day was I was the one person that didn't look like everybody else. And all I wanted was to be accepted. So maybe I did make comments when I was a kid, but I didn't hate anybody because of their skin color. I hated the fact that I didn't felt like I didn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I hope you hear that and realize that if you went to school with me, it was at least 10 fucking years ago and I'm a different person and I hope you are too. But judging from that comment, it seems like you're not. Um, fuck that guy. Official position of the square is to fuck that guy. Yes. Reddit. Okay. Fuck good. Reddit also. Yeah, true. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> that's that my, place. that's my other uh, position. I spend way too much time there, but also fuck it. Right. Um, so we, we ended up having 
the conversation got more heated and you know he he started to say that i you know oh you're so emotional i get that you're emotional about this blah 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 and it wasn't like in a sympathetic way it was in a in the way that a bully who knows that somebody m- might be emotional maybe the, maybe this is a person who knows that the person that they're talking to has had like a long and pretty open struggle with like mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing I've talked about openly. I think the first time I ever spoke publicly at a rally outside of Chris Collins office in 2017, I talked about how the ACA saved my life because I was able to get mental health care that resulted in, you know, like me getting into a much better place. So it felt, it, it felt like an attack. Um, and I finally said, I said, yeah, I am emotional because I spent all this time with my four black sisters and my mother last night consoling them about what happened but you know you live in orchard park and you got three white kids and you don't give a shit um and then but it was the comment that i made that two days ago you wanted to go scorched earth but now you're scared that was the one that that i think really kind of set it off you know like jada pinkin and queen latifah great movie by the way um and it, it just went i can't even i mean it was so it was just a yelling match at that sort of after that and uh eventually it did end up with him yelling, like, shut the fuck up, I'm your boss, after telling me not to go in, but then saying, shut the fuck up, I'm your boss. And in, the, in Ryan Whalen's Spectrum article, it says, I took a minstrel tone. And since I know that I'm on a Democratic podcast that's mostly listened to by Democrats, I will do a, a bit of an example of, of what I did there, which was after being told... A minstrel tone? Is that what they said? That's what I called it, because okay. I didn't like know a better way to, to okay. describe it. But uh, after you know being told, shut the fuck up, I'm your boss, I did say... Why, yes, boss, I was going to stop talking to you now, massa. I ain't going to say another word to you. And uh, then he hung up. And uh, I went into the office. Alyssa had, I was the first person, to be clear, I was the first person in the parking lot. She got in before me because I was arguing with Pat on the phone. I told her about what happened. He tried to call her and cut me off at the pass. Um, And she talked to me about it first. Then Brendan and Nicole showed up. She talked to him on the phone sometime, like, I think around the time they showed up, which was not too long after. And I was like, so I like didn't technically get fired, but there's no fucking way I'm going to still be working here after today. (laughs) Um, And then Alyssa came out and was like, he's coming here. And he told me not to tell you guys that he was coming here. And that, that should trigger a thought in your head, especially when you start to think about his first statement that he put out, Mm -hmm. because if he's telling her to tell nobody that he's coming, it seems that there's been a decision in his head made already about the other two people who he hasn't even had a firsthand conversation with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we looked up the speech that he allegedly gave in front of the Black Caucus, which he did. There was no record of it at the time. Again, it's funny how it shows up at 10 o'clock the night we got fired on YouTube and Twitter. Very funny how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, no record of it. There's a picture of him like barely in the back, sort of like um, if anybody's seen Arrested Development like uh, a boy at the Milford school trying to be not seen and not heard much like Buster Bluth. And so uh, he came into the office, um, fumbled with his keys because never really used them. Mm -hmm. And um, I came in and I was kind of standing, I sat down and he goes, how's everybody doing? And I literally did. I was just like, I'm fantastic. Cause like I already knew, you know, I said, I talked my shit or whatever. I said what I had to say. And like, you know, it's a let the chips fall where they may type of type of deal. But again, like the conversation really was me pleading with a friend mm-hmm. who I knew this is a guy who's argued with me about whether or not he thinks black people can be racist. And I'm like, listen, man, 
Damn. I think if you just don't like somebody because of their like skin color, that's racism. And he gave me the whole prejudice plus power thing. And then we went back. I was like, that's structural racism. And he's like, yeah, but it dilutes the meaning of the word. So this isn't a guy who doesn't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he said, if you think, uh, if you think I'm a political, if you think I'm some kind of political coward, I think it actually started with, if you don't believe in me, if you don't agree with my decisions, if you don't think what I'm doing is right, if you don't agree with my priorities, if you think I'm some kind of political coward, then you should have enough self-respect and quit your job. Um, and I had never used the word coward on the phone. I mean, I guess maybe the, are you scared mm-hmm. comment? Um, I didn't say, are you scared, but it was sort of implied like, Oh, we're scared now. Right. Um, that, that, and the, Oh, and then he made a comment at the end. He's like, Oh really? You feel that I'm your slave master. And like, obviously not. But I mean, if you're yelling at me, you know, shut the fuck up, boss. I don't know if you, if we believe in this or, or shut the fuck up. I'm your boss. I don't know if you, how far this intergenerational trauma went, but listen, I was like, I felt like I was in roots. Okay. I was like, I was about to keep saying Kunta Quinte. Okay. Until he beat the black off me. Um, and, and, well, and just, I mean, and you've had candid conversations with him, right? Like, all this is, the time. This is not like, so the, the tenor, I just want to stress like the tenor of this kind of conversation, like it sounds, this one was decidedly tense, but at the same time, it wouldn't be out of line for you to talk the way you did with him. Right. Like it wasn't right. Like, I know yeah. he's your quote unquote boss, but at the same time, not only as a friend, but also in the role that you were in as part of his staff, you have to have candid and frank conversations yeah we do and we have conversations about policy and then just like topics of the day whether it's like i said about like should leah thomas be able to swim in the ncaa women's division or like um what's the best way to like deal with the lack of public transit here in western new york like all type of stuff and and it, it would become like it would become contentious we would get into like all four of us would get into like yelling matches in the lobby. But generally speaking, like we would, it, it was about an issue and then we would like cool it mm-hmm. and like things would be fine. And the topic of like race in particular is one that we talked about a lot insofar as like Pat talking about the fact that like his kids do pass as white and that like he is trying to get them Irish citizenship so they can essentially. So if shit hits the fan here, you can leave. Right. And like, again, not only do I not get the benefit of, white being white passing you know some of my ancestors certainly did i had ancestors from uh, henderson kentucky who a guy who was so fair-skinned he moved to indianapolis and went to mortuary school at a white mortuary school and then he came back and was the black funeral home director so i know a lot about the nature of passing it's in it's in my past a lot of people when they meet me they don't even believe that i'm black they think that i'm you know they they think me and re are closer and uh (laughs) closer in ancestry than i am to like you know then then I am to other black people. It's just, you know, it's like the fun way that the dice rolls kind of work out. Um, but we've talked about the nature of all these things. So it didn't feel like, I mean, the way the Buffalo news put it is like, I, I out of context completely and totally like took a cheap shot at his family, which is just like not true. And again, like I, I would never in my life have gone to the Buffalo news and mentioned that part of the conversation. And the truth is he didn't have to do that either. Right. He could have gone to the news and said, we got into an argument. He disrespected me and I fired him. He could have said that, but the night before the article comes out, his profile picture on Facebook was a doodle of him. The night before that article comes out, it changes to a picture of him and his family. He put that quote in there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the, back to the uh, conversation after he asked me, you know, if I was, if I felt like he was my overseer, which I think probably would have been the better analogy, all things considered. 
Um, I gave a little speech where I said, you know, like, if you're asking me if I think you're not doing enough in response to this, that's true. If I think that, um, if I think you used, and this is my favorite part, uh, I said, I think if you used the word black yesterday on the phone more times to complain about the policy that the assembly wants to pass than you did in any of your responses over the weekend to the shooting. I think that's true. And he smirked at me when he said that, when I, when I said that, cause he knew I got his ass. <laughs> um, and I did because like, if you go back and look at his statements, the shooting was racially motivated. The gun had the N word on it. And then if you were affected by the racially motivated shooting, you know, blah, blah, blah. I knew it was a Nazi in two seconds. I saw the 14. I saw the 14 on the gun. That was all I needed. Yep. That's all you need. That's all you need. 14 words. The 14 is all you need. I was looking for the 88 next. Yeah. So if we couldn't call this guy a Nazi, a white supremacist, we couldn't use the word black. And um, I I said that. And then I said, and if you want to fire the first black person that you've ever given a job to, because they told you that you needed to stand up more strongly in response to an anti-black white supremacist massacre that happened in your city, you can go ahead, uh, but I'm not going to quit. So you, you will have to fire me. And he did. He turned to Nicole, who, again, for the 50 millionth time to state this, literally said nothing. She was just sitting there. And, um, you know, I think and th- th- I have competing theories. Um, either he fired her because he knows that, like, we're friends. We hang out outside of work. He didn't. Funny, later in the story, I think he didn't realize that Brendan uh, also hung out with us sometimes. But he fired her either for that or maybe to avoid, you know, to make it look like he wasn't discriminating against me by right. just firing me. Um, and then, but like, then to flip that script after firing her without her saying anything, and maybe it's because of her politics. She, I, I oftentimes call Nicole like the moral heart of the office. She's like the bleeding heart liberal who's like, you know, even if I, I, I'm very data driven and I'm like, well, this doesn't seem like a great policy or like this conflicts with another law. And she's like, well, I just think we should do it because like, We should just like be nice to people basically. And I appreciate that. I think you need a person like that Mm -hmm. around you to make sure that you're not like that. You're not selling out essentially. Um, And then he turns to Brendan who Brendan, Patrick Keeney, Patrick, Brendan Burke, both Irish. It's like, it was openly talked about that. Like a reason that he got the job was because he was also Irish. Mm -hmm. And it was also openly talked about that when Pat found out he was Protestant, that he was like, you're not really Irish. Um, (laughs) And so he turns to him again, sort of in a cesarean fashion says, uh, so Brendan, do you agree with them? And Brendan said, yeah, I do. And he fired him and we got our shit and we walked out and I got the IDs and the keys and I threw them on the floor inside the office. Cause I mean, no respect and there's no respect. Mm -hmm. There's, there is none and there's no need to have any, um, and I threw him on the floor and I looked at Alyssa and maybe I was trying to give her an out a way for her to, you know, a lifeline for her to get off of what looks like a, a ship, you know, spinning out of control. And I said, don't pick him up. I said, make him pick him up. So maybe he'll recognize how fucked up that was. And, um, that everybody, I, I went back out to the parking lot and, um, you know, everybody was already kind of texting their own contacts because again, I, I like know that I'm endangering my, I guess, future employment in the political realm by like pulling back the curtain a little bit on some of these things. And that's fine because like, you know, I mean, I guess I'll survive. I'll find another way to work if nobody wants to hire. Again, if you don't want to hire somebody for being too honest, then Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you know, just don't lie about me in the media and don't fire me for a bad reason. And then we'll probably be good. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I've worked in politics for several years. Brendan used to be a reporter. Nicole worked in nonprofits. And I know because I'm friends with and have been friends with, um, you know, former staffers who've worked for Pat and I worked for him. I know uh, both sides of the story for how terrible, you know, I mean, the, the things that I've heard about the people who used to work for him are horrible things that nobody should ever say about a former employee. Mm-hmm. Um, especially somebody who still is going to be like a government colleague who you're going to have to do, who you're going to have to do work with. Well, he made this shit personal, right? I mean, and that's the crux of it is to me is he made it personal, not just with what happened um, with the firing, which look, I think that that alone is a surefire sign that his house is in an order. Like you don't go on a rampage and fire three staffers in one shot. Um, that's not the sign of, I don't think things are going well. Let's put it that way. You're not having a normal one. Um, <laughs> sure. But, but that all that shit could have happened in house. And like you said, he could have put out something to the Buffalo news just to the effect of, you know, I had a staffer, I had staffers who disrespected me decide to let him go. Um, but he made it personal. Like everything since that, uh, was, I mean, it was scorched the earth, man. It wasn't, you know, for somebody who was your friend at some point, um, close friend. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's insane. And, um, so again, like I knew immediately I was like, I was like, he's dragged every person basically who's worked with for him through the mud. And I'm sure he's somewhere right now on Memorial day, whether at a cookout or whatever, saying horrible things about probably mostly about me because that you know again it's it just it's very poetic that i get fired and then i'm the centerpiece of the buffalo news story and um some of his allies are having complete and total copium overdoses on uh, facebook uh one particular gentleman in my own replies i'm not going to use his name because you know again no respect no need to use it um and then another another person who i i am actually somewhat afraid will engage in like a physical attempting to physically harm me. Um, but again, if, if any of Pat's friends are listening to this, there's a certain guy on Twitter. He's either Irish crusader or USMC crusader 2000. Uh, he's not a registered Democrat, but he's a friend of Pat's and, um, he hates me. He's already hated me. So he's going balls to the wall on Twitter, calling me fat and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's, that's fine. But I, I knew this would happen. So I, the mistake ultimately that Pat made is that he hired people who weren't totally disconnected from credible uh, sources, essentially. So most of the other people that he's hired are like, and this is no diss against them. They're just less, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of get shepherded into politics by Brian Nowak and then other people helped me along the way. Um, but Pat mostly like would kind of hire like neighborhood kids or kids fresh out of college which means they're very isolated. They don't have connections, which means when you burn them, every single person that you say is going to believe you because nobody knows them. They only know them through you and you only know anybody else through him. But again, one person's a reporter. You're already kind of fucked there, frankly. Who are they going to believe? A guy who was in the press corps with them for four years or another lying politician? Um, and then I know enough reliable folks and then Nicole being in nonprofits, all, all we did was tell our friends. That was literally it. It was just like, hey, this happened before you hear some other shit this is the real deal. Um, and then I get a call then a couple of days later uh, from Lou Michelle from the Buffalo News. 
And, you know, he told me he got my number from my dad or whatever, which, you know, weird, but okay. Um, and he asked me about if I had called Pat's family, like Lily White. And the truth is, I don't, I, I agreed to it in the interview. And the truth is, I don't remember, I, but I also, I don't think it matters because I'm not going to give credence to these people who are acting like saying Lily White is the same thing as calling somebody a nigger. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's more to like, it, it was sort of funny enough addresses what comes up in the Buffalo news article. So Lou calls and, and asks me if I made that comment. And I told him the whole story. Again, the same way that I'm telling it to you now, the same way it was reported in WBEN, Spectrum, Channel 2, whatever. It's funny. Our story, every time it's been told, never changes. Read his statements. Every single one is different. So he told me that the other two were fired for gross insubordination, or that we all were fired for being, quote, grossly insubordinate, which I, you know, I like ride or die for the people who I consider to be my friends. And I wanted, I tried to make it very, very clear to Lou. And I, I sent him both of their contacts. I said, call them. They will deny this. It is not true. You should call Pat and make sure he wants this statement published because fundamentally, at least Brendan at least said something. And yeah, you can, you know, again, to the people whose new defenses, oh, these are discretionary jobs. It's management confidential. You can be fired for any reason. Fine. That's true. But Nicole, by definition, she literally was just a, she just caught a straight bullet. Like she, she didn't say anything. Um, Lou called me again, maybe 45 minutes later or something. And Nicole and I were actually, you know, handing out groceries at the Johnny B. Wiley when he called me, um, you know, not hiding in the South towns. Mm Mm-hmm. I tried again to implore him to like contact them. And he's like, Oh, I think I got a fair piece. Cause I really think it's about you versus him. And I, again, I was like, that's just not, I mean, maybe it started that way, but like it was, all of us were just disgruntled. He and I got into an argument, but then the other two were just like, essentially they were fired because of their association, the association that he views them having with me. Um, and maybe he thinks what, what that, framing, by the way, like the, the, the black staffer, the, the first black, first and only black staffer, of Pat Burke in the predominantly Irish district. Like that, what, what incredible fucking galaxy minded framing they wanted. Right. To well, and also like Lou, like, Oh, I think I have a fair story. It was you versus him. Then how did the other two people get fired? Right. Like what the yeah, fuck? I mean, like, yeah, it's what, insane. Yeah. It's totally, totally insane. And like um, that would get you an F your first year at J school. Yeah. That's a fact. I really think it would. And you know, I, the more I thought about it as well, you know, it's, it's framed around me. Pat's, um, Pat's allies, the few that he, you know, still has, they're only talking about me. Um, I don't want to say it's because I'm black, but it's mighty convenient that I'm also the scapegoat. Mm -hmm. And it's also, I think him, again, he could have said anything to them about my behavior or he could have said it about all of us and he didn't have to give him a specific quote, but instead he fed him a quote essentially that makes me out to look in the wake of a white supremacist anti-black killing, he essentially tries to make me look like I'm fucking Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X all at the same time, you know? And frankly, I think it was intentional in an attempt to put a target. I think I, I was deep for days. I was deeply paranoid. I have security cameras. I check them all the time because after some motherfucker comes from three hours away and shoots 10 random niggas, you don't think putting my name out there and saying that essentially I hate white people is going to put a fucking target on my back? You're crazy. Mm-hmm. 
you're crazy. And I'm a registered voter. So that shit, you can get it in two seconds. You can get my fucking address. And I got four sisters. So, you know, it's already fuck you for that. Um, and then, so the, the piece comes out and again, we had just done the smart thing and told people the truth. So people called us and were like, Hey, you told us what happened to like, not even on the record or anything. Like again, Brendan's just friends with reporters. Those are people he spent time with for four years. I told the people who I'm friends with, some of them are, you know, pretty plugged in mm-hmm. and so are Nicole's people. And they're like, this isn't jive with, I mean, this is just totally insane compared to compared to what happened and also like the point about the passing thing and about the nature of passing like and i don't you know to say that and this is really touchy and like i again i never would have brought his fam anybody's family to the press that again for mm-hmm. the hundredth time i asked lou the first question when he gave me the quote was he is he on the record with that statement because i was never going to go on the record first mm-hmm. but to say that, like, I know that I know that Shannon, his wife, is Puerto Rican, and I know that she, you can tell that she's not like Anglo. Certainly, you can tell that she's not Irish. But like to say that my wife is Puerto Rican and we have a mixed race family, again, to sort of like, I don't know if we're trying to flip the the woke thing or not. But again, this is a conversation that we've openly had that like we live in Orchard Park and my kids look white, and at the end of the day, like. If shit hits the fan, we can all go to Ireland. You know where I'm going? You know where my my extra citizenship passport gets me to? Somewhere outside of Roanoke, Virginia. That's as far as I can get. Mm-hmm. I don't have that luxury of escaping if, you know, full fascism comes to the States, which I think probably will fold into our gun conversation a little bit later. Um, and then to say that we were trying to sabotage his reelection doesn't make sense because our jobs were literally dependent on him getting reelected. Or he's accusing us of trying to sabotage his reelection after getting fired, which doesn't make sense because he went to the press first. Mm-hmm. So we we did a bunch of TV interviews to kind of tell the truth. We went on BEN on Sunday. Um, you'll notice that again, the Buffalo News it says we are insubordinate, and then the statement changes to something something vague about a lack of trust. When like we just wanted to have a conversation, it wasn't like we weren't all about to walk out the door. It was just like let's talk about this and see if we can. Because, yeah, I mean, ultimately, again, for the management confidential Bible thumpers, sure, yeah, it's like it is his office, his name's on the door, he gets to make the decisions, but we do get to have some input. Right. And um, because any decent leader knows that they don't know anything, that they don't know, not, not anything, they don't know that they know, they know that they don't know everything. And they know that by having, you know, multiple people around you who maybe take different stances, you can always find you know, whatever the hardest steels forge in the hottest fire or whatever, at least in this case, I think all you want is, you know, yes men or drones or soldiers or whatever. And, um, I mean, you know, my granddad, J Earl Deering, he was a president of the Kentucky NAACP in the late fifties and early sixties, desegregated the Kentucky public schools in the early fifties. Um, it was a high, high level advisor was like personal friends with Mitt Romney's father on his, uh, present ill-fated very ill-fated presidential campaign um so like i don't come from like um i mean none of us really do but i don't come from a line of like yes boss types Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like um and my grandfather certainly wouldn't be as nearly profane as i am um and probably a little less probably a little more tactful but um but I, i couldn't you know we we couldn't take it lying down none of us could and and we felt we had a duty for people to know the truth because 
every other person who's ever worked for him has had their name totally dragged through the mud. And we figured, you know, like you burn the only three people who have any incentive to kind of like in the way you do it to go to the media and lie about them. Mm-hmm. Like, why not just tell the truth? And that's what I've told everybody. It's like, this is the easiest shit I've done in my entire life, man. Cause all I'm doing is telling the truth. It really will set you free. Well, and, and the thing is, all right. So just an interject here for the listener, because this does read or listen or sound or whatever verb you want to use as a, as a hit on Pat Burke. And yeah. I, I, what I'd like to say first is that I, I personally consider Pat a friend, um, whether or not he feels that way after listening to this or, or even after, uh, we called him a fucking shithead after, uh, his his uh, getting rid of Medicare or whatever for anti-vaxxers and insurance. Any, any yeah, insurance. You wanna, insurance? Yeah, if you want to know anything about that, feel free. I'll I'll spill the beans. Well, you know, I, even in spite of that, where uh, he didn't know that we said it on the show until I said it to his face because I didn't want him to think that I was saying something behind his back in case he didn't listen to the episode. Sure. And so I told him at our Christmas party. I, I said, remember that. Yeah, I told him that, and he was like. Put, try to put me on the spot and i'm like no your idea is fucking stupid you're not you're good your idea is stupid um which hey dude you're from seneca street you should have a little bit of uh, experience dealing with people who are uh you know have candor and who will speak to you directly so i spoke to him directly but in spite of all this i consider pat a friend however it's important to note that again and i i said this before i'm gonna say it again that he made it personal for you in like, like the context is so insane that we literally had a terrorist massacre in in our backyard and literally the next fucking business day or the day after he's firing the you know the first black staffer and the rest of his staff like like that's insane that's bananas how yeah. I, I i can't i can't get over that yeah. and then just sets fire to your reputations and goes to the buffalo news and goes to you know whoever are listening like Oh, these people want to undermine. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I got a call on Thursday that um, that Bill Conrad was told by him that we were all fired. That's how he knew it was coming. That we were all fired for quote gross insubordination. That was before Lou had even called me. But again, I, the people who we know, we were able to tell the truth to first, and we're credible enough where our connections aren't dependent on him. Where they're not going to say, "Oh, well, they only know me through Pat, so I'm going to lean on on Pat's." say so on this because again especially with the context if you look at that news article i mean it's clear that there's a piece missing anyway i mean it's just obvious and like i said i I posted it on facebook i was really upset about it i was like oh boy you know maybe the third or fourth time my name's been in the buffalo news ever since you know park school won that basketball championship in 2011 or whatever sick brags yeah yeah (laughs) um don't worry we were in the i we weren't even in monsignor martin then we were we would get washed by probably the seventh and eighth grade team now but um like really other than my few mentions in articles uh, when I was working for McMurray, like this is my first mention in the Buffalo news. And it's essentially that like Matt Deering is, is hates white, you know, is like an anti white, you know, bigot who has anger issues or whatever. And like, I mean, um, anger issues, you know, I, I have certainly, uh, I can be an emotional guy sometimes, but anger is not often one that I, uh, that I find. Um, but I realized over the weekend, I was like, damn, Actually, the Buffalo News is a fucking rag. Correct. And um, the best article that ever could have been written about me is that I'm an uppity nigger who told a white guy that he needed to do more about white supremacy. Like, and, and, and that's, again, if you want more insane context, 
unless you are the kind of person who says white supremacy is not a problem or you're the kind of person who frankly uh, hates unions and hates organized labor and hates workers, we're the good guys in the story, man. Mm-hmm. And frankly, in my own community, even if I had never told the whole story, even at folks who I know, folks who I don't know, random people I saw on the street after that Buffalo News hack job came out, came up to me and were like, what's up, brother? Like, mm-hmm. I saw you in the news, man. Like, thanks for standing up. Like, even if only that article had come out, I would still be a hero, not a hero, but like I would still have done something that black that black people would see like he stood up to a white guy and lost about racism and lost his job because of it. There's no way I'm coming out on the bad side of it, frankly, in the black community. But I think especially once we told our story, and I mean, I even, you know, I, I used to do, when we worked from home, I, I had a Google voice number where I would communicate with our constituents because um, I didn't have a way to call out from the office number. And I got calls from old constituents who I had worked with, people who live in West Seneca, mostly people who live in Orchard Park, saying like, hey, we saw you guys on the news. We, I just want you guys to know that we support you 100%. Um, and go to your health, in, not to retread the health insurance no, thing. No, please do. But the health insurance thing was very funny because... Because that was like Pat, like that was his first like big like fuck up, I Bro, would say. we were on Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> so that, I mean, that was essentially, we got a call at like 930 and was like, hey, what's going on with that bill that we're doing to allow health insurers to take away health insurance for anti-vaxxers if they get COVID. And we're like, well, we don't know because we've never talked about a bill to do that. We'd had like a conversation that was sparked by like a tweet that somebody sent maybe for like two minutes, like two weeks before that. And then it was like, all right, call index and put the bill in because we're going to do it. And then the tweet went out. And then for a month, Brendan and Nicole and I, frankly, had to sit in front of a bay of glass windows while I answered the phone hundreds of times a day getting called and feel free to bleep any of these getting called every type of nigger faggot cocksucker motherfucker if like george carlin can do it we can we can keep it yeah <laughs> just like every slur in the book i got called and like it must have been nice to be able to turn your twitter and facebook account off and just unplug meanwhile the three of us are like I'm checking every package that comes to the door because I don't know if it's going to have a fucking pipe bomb in it or not, because this is the world that we live in, but we don't get to hide. Mm-hmm. We got to sit in front of those glass windows every day for eight hours. Um, but that it's very funny. And again, if you, if you want to lens into what your elected officials think about you, maybe talk to somebody who works for one of them, but we were like, this is going to come back to bite us in the ass when election time comes around. And he was like, nah, the people in this district won't care about that. He's like, they'll come home. But you think they would leave if you said white supremacy is bad? Mm-hmm. What is that? It's one either. Part, either what, if, what if he's right? What if he's right? Well, yeah. What if he's right? But but what a it, this is like the it's the soft bigotry of low expectations, right? Like, and maybe maybe it is right. But is that like, you know, oftentimes elected officials will say, "Oh, I don't need this job. I could go do anything else. I could go do anything else." You know, blah blah blah. I hate this job. But like, if 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 that's true. Then, like, where is the line where you're? What's the line that you're willing to cross that might result in you having to actually like mm-hmm. put up and actually go find something else to do? Because, like, if you don't, if you don't think your constituents could handle this conversation, what does it say? What does it say about your constituents, frankly, mm-hmm. or what you think about them? At least, what how how lowly you you think about them, or like, are you just here? Are you here for a reason? Or are you just cashing a paycheck, man? Yeah. 
Well, that's so I want to talk. Uh, one of the things that uh, it was come out in, in the news article that you know Pat said that uh, you know well if they think that you know I I don't do enough they don't they don't or they're not familiar with my ten year career. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know my counterpoint to that is well there's two things. One is one, um, literally nothing in your tenure career has happened like this. This is so don't pretend like your micro beats that you did in like in the sure. Erie County legislature is anything like responding to a terrorist attack in your city. Right. That's a, it's a totally different world. Also, there is a lot of what have you done for me lately in politics and this would be what could you possibly do for me lately? Now's the time for you to step up. But the other thing is like, you know, to your point of, you know, him dragging or talking shit about every one of his former employees, mm-hmm. like it Anybody who's involved in the game, who actually is involved in politics, sure. knows that that he does that. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, there are people, Pat, who know about what you've done the last ten years. Yeah, it's just it's different people than you think it is. You're not fooling any of that. <sighs> That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah, I mean, and like, again, I like you said, Re. I know this is going to come off as like a hit or whatever, but it's like I am a 29 year old college dropout who volunteered on a Bernie campaign. And then one of my closest friends, weird, the weird, one of the weirdest people I know, Brian Nowak was like, you seem like you got a good head on your shoulders and I want your advice. Cause I want to do this thing. And like, that's how I came to this place where I'm like making almost $50,000. I got government benefits, you know, eight hours a day, nine to five. I get to go home. I get to try to have a relationship. It's not like I, when I used to work on campaigns and I was always on the road all the time. Like I could, I, I was like, Literally the week before this, I was thinking about buying a house in South Buffalo. I was like starting to look at like getting, you know, more, you know, what I got to do to get a mortgage, all this, you know, although you're my generation will probably never own a fucking house, but that's a conversation for another episode. Mm-hmm. But the idea that like we were engaged in some sort of like, you know, mutually assured destruction where you're we trying to like take him down. I mean, I was like looking forward to the next two years and like becoming a real adult. So, I mean, it's just like, this is the greatest opportunity I've ever had. I wouldn't like blow it in over nothing. Right. And one of the other thing, like, so I've worked in a variety of political offices, uh, over the course of my career. And like for all of them, one of the points of being staff for all these people who say, well, they're management confidential and that he gets to fire him. What is to they voice your opinion, they ask you or they don't ask you, but they want to hear your opinion. They brought you in because they thought you had a good, like there's a good reason to have you around. Right. And not the, just to be a, not just to be a secretary. And again, this is the thing in the news article is like, or at least what Lou read to me was like, oh, Burke says he hired Deering, who's black, to interface with, as, you know, to interface with his constituents. And like, well, that's true. A lot of white politicians love having a black person on staff. The question is, do you want a black face for your office or do you want a black voice in your office? Mm -hmm. And it was very clear that because the truth is, I don't think any, I don't think any self-respecting black person who was in that position, I don't think the conversation would have gone too much differently because like, again, you hired me ostensibly because of my, my ideas and my voice. And like, if anybody, if anybody's advice, you should heed on this. It should be me. And I get it. You're from the district. You're from South Buffalo or whatever. But like I've existed in all white spaces my entire life. If anybody knows if there is a if there is a black person in in politics, you know, around these parts who like knows how to communicate these things. I'm I'm wearing a NASCAR themed shirt right now. My entire time I worked for Pat, I had a NASCAR stock car die cast on my desk. Okay, I grew up in Indiana at the dirt track. 
All right. I know how to talk. I know how to talk to these people and I know how we can do this in a way that's not that's going to help you. Well, mm-hmm. and, and South, South Buffalo specifically, by the way, like, look, you could say a lot of things about South. Buffalo. I spent a lot of time there and I most of the time I had a great time. You could say a lot of things about South Buffalo. I'm I am the ardent South Buffalo defender of the podcast. Again, being from South Buffalo, um, you know, it's just whatever. I will defend South Buffalo till I die while acknowledging it's many, many, many warts. But I'll say this. Are there a lot of racists in South Buffalo? Yes. Are there a lot of racists in Buffalo and Western New York? Yes. I maybe I'm I'm wrong here, Matt, and you can tell me I'm a fucking moron. I think you can make a distinction between the and I know they feed into each other. I know the dynamics of it, but what I'm saying is that the the South Buffalo racist would not classify themselves in the same lot as the shooter. A hundred percent on top. Uh, and that and that and that was the point. That was a big reason why we wanted to do this. Is like. Yeah, like some of the people down there do have, you know, like prejudiced views of black people. I mean, there were a lot of times I would be in a bar and I'd hear somebody say the N word or whatever. If I was in the right bar, they'd get thrown out. If I was in the wrong bar, then I don't know, I'd like go smoke outside or something and just be like, oh, yeah, this is just like another day or whatever. Um, But I, I agree with you. And that was kind of the point about why we wanted to do this. Again, that's why I talk about being called to a higher virtue. And it may be like, oh, you may have not a lot of experience with black people or your experiences with black people haven't been the greatest or it's mostly, you know, framed through like through the media and the way that we're portrayed there. But like nobody likes, even if you are a racist, nobody wants to be fucking called a racist. And if you're, and even if you are a bigot and you're not, but you don't like, you know, read like a uh, weird phrenology books or something and you don't aren't obs- obsessed with like, you know, like, Oh, we have to make sure all the black people are in jail because, um, white women will never have sex with white men again if they like if we let them have sex with black dudes or whatever which is like the kind of shit that this kid thinks i don't think i I don't think any of these people really except for the few crazies who we kind of know about are like that and i don't think that this would have hurt you at all to come out and say that like you know killing black people because they're black is bad Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't do that and also like the jews aren't trying to bring brown and black people into america to replace you Mm -hmm. like I think most people could handle that message. And the truth is most people who would have heard it aren't, aren't voters anyway. And I think the people who vote would have been like, Oh yeah, he's right. It may not have moved the needle at all, but again, sometimes like, well, here's my thing is that, and we've talked about this on the podcast before is that I think it might've moved the needle, but in, in favor and if, if, if anywhere it would have been better. Right. right. Because like we've talked about in general, in voting patterns and in, in throughout the world, People vote for who they want to vote for. If you give them a reason to come out and support you, mm-hmm. they are more likely to show up than to vote against you. And if he had taken a strong stance to be, you know, vocally anti-racist, you know, anti-white supremacy, anti-replacement theory, he would have. There would have been a lot of people in that district who would have said, "Good for you. I'm glad you spoke up. I'm glad you did this. I want to support you. I want to vote for you." Yeah, it might have even gotten you some volunteers, right? Right. Later down the line when they're yeah. done responding in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. Correct. Well, and, you, and you brought up the thing at Cass. I don't mean to interrupt you, Jim, but you brought up the thing at the Cass Park earlier. He has taken a stance on this stuff before. Like for. Well, to, yeah, but if you look at that, it's very funny. Uh, WGRZ, you know, he mentioned that he has a long history of statements against white supremacy. And you could pull this up, a screenshot from the WGRP, WGRZ piece. There's two Facebook statuses, one from 2016, one from 2017. What is it that changed after 2018? He wasn't a ledge anymore. Mm-hmm. He moved to Orchard Park. That's the difference. 
Fair, fair enough. I'm just, I'm giving him the. No, 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 no. I, but I, again, and that's why I've tried to say, like I said to Lou, I said to Lou on that call, and I haven't mentioned this before. I was like, I want to be clear. I do not think Pat is racist. Right. Mm-hmm. This is not what this is. Now he accused me of calling him a. Pol- he said in the Buffalo News we called him a political coward. Well, I hadn't then. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I, I, I might think about it now. I hadn't then. Right. That's all. But, and that's all. And you know, uh, that's all I got to say about that. Right. But, well, and you know, I want to. Another thing I just want to come touch back to it, like, is you know, you talked to Ray about how you know, you know, he, you know, you've been friends with him for years. I've been friends with him going back to like we were in AmeriCorps together, like you know, like twelve years. I knew ago. you both did it. I didn't realize you were in it together. Holy crap! Right, we were in it at the same time. He was at the West New York Law Center. I was at the Cas Library in South Buffalo, okay, on, on Casnovia Street, okay, right. Um, and so like I've known him since then, sure, and you know. So his thing is, well, if, you know, they should know my, my 10 years of work. Well, he should know about our 10 years of friendship and that we criticized one fucking idea he had and he basically wrote us off and, and thought we were traitors. Yeah, and to be clear, it was like, even if it's like a good meme to post on Twitter or whatever, horrible policy, horrible policy, even worse policy to get yourself on the national stage and then totally disengage and not use it to like boost your profile at all. Bad bad, bad policy, bad politics. It yeah. managed to be both. Um, but yeah, no, that, and the thing is, like you said, Jim earlier about the, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's the thing we talk about in the black community all the time. White politicians like to show up at the black churches right before election day. Right. But then they go, but then you don't see them any, any other time, you know? So this isn't even like, what have you done for me lately? It's like, what have you done for me in the last half decade? And, you know, after the George Floyd killing, uh, murder, sorry to, uh, use nice words for it instead of the truth. Um, you know, there probably are statements that he made on his like personal Facebook to his friends. But if you look at his public Facebook or public Twitter accounts, the words George Floyd are never mentioned. Mm -hmm. The words white supremacy are never mentioned. There's a lot of tweets about pictures of giving cops new radar guns and license plate readers, but nothing about George Floyd. And, um, you know, I've heard stories of a speech that was given in uh, downtown Buffalo uh, in the wake of the George Floyd murder uh, on June 4th, a speech given by Pat, funny enough, um, where he talked about, you know, he said, you know, being a politician is a game of making calculated choices. Do I support this or do I support that? But this is something that you can't fence sit on. This is wrong. You know, I, I saw Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and I agreed with him, but I didn't speak out. And I didn't do anything. And the time for that's over and I'm going to use my voice and my power that I have in my office to, you know, right the wrongs of structural and institutional racism. And, you know, I hope to be a good ally going forward. That speech was given June 4th of 2020. I know it happened. Go out and see if you can find any record of that speech ever being given. And you won't find a record of it, but I have a distinct feeling that the people who worked for him were told, make sure that that speech doesn't get out. And if you go and look at the voting record, I have a distinct feeling you won't see a single co-sponsorship of a single piece of criminal justice legislation. Now, why is that? Because again, like I said about speaking in front of the black caucus, you come to the city, stand in front of a bunch of black folks, NAACP, all that. Racism is bad, but you go home, mighty quiet, well, mighty quiet. So, 
Uh, so a long, I, I have a, a question for you, Matt, and I want to I want to pick your brain because I thought about this uh, lately. Mm-hmm. Is that um, you know we saw Pat say he was going to do something about the shooting or after the shooting at the Jefferson Tops, mm-hmm. and then you know he made he made this flip flop, this one eighty, um, and I I think you know, part of it is certainly because he didn't have a personal connection to it. Do you think he would have made the same change if this happened at the Niagara Street Tops? Mm. You know, that's a good question. And um, the truth is, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would, well, from how, the, from how the ethnicity of his family was brought front and center in that news article, I would, honestly, I would think yes. And that was the thing I asked him on the call. I was like, what would you have done if it had been me in there and I had gotten killed? Would you have had a stronger response then? Or, you know, am I, just an, am I still just another dead nigger too? Um, obviously he never said that. That's, you know, it's like my words now, mm-hmm. but, um, the truth is I think probably because, you know, as much as we like to say, Oh, this tragedy here affects me as much as it would, if it happened in my backyard, you know, like, yeah, mother Emmanuel fucked with me when Dylan roof did that shit. But like this, the Jefferson tops, my first thought, because that's a place where my mom goes, my neighbors go. My first thought was, obviously checking and making sure none of the people I knew were there. But then it was, damn, why didn't he wait? Like not in a hopeful way, but like, damn, why didn't he wait until Sunday afternoon? Mm-hmm. Cause instead of killing 10 people, he would have killed 50. Cause there would have been a ton of people in line at that deli counter picking up shit for dinner that night. But he did it on a Saturday cause he didn't know. But, but that's the thing I know more mm-hmm. because that's not, not only is it a black tops, it's the black tops in my neighborhood. And I know, you know, I know who goes there for what, when, so I'm sure he would have. I mean, and frankly, and like this is something I've thought about. You know, you look at what happened, the fucking horror in Uvalde. You know, like this mostly like Latino kids getting killed. The response to that from him on his Twitter was immediate. There was two tweets about what happened in Uvalde, which doesn't seem to have been racially motivated, obviously. That's mm-hmm. a, another la- layer to this that doesn't play in. But you'll see there's two tweets about Uvalde and then he finds one of these accounts that tweets all the victims, retweets every shoot victim from the Buffalo shooting, and then retweets every victim from the Uvalde shooting. Like, bam, 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 bam. No, no pun, in, obviously no pun intended mm-hmm. on that. But it was like, went through the list, retweeting all of them. And I have a distinct feeling that after he sent two tweets about the school shooting in Uvalde, he realized, fuck, this is true. We, I called him out for it in the... Uh, in that conversation that we had that Sandy Magnano, at least on her Facebook had shared like an image that had the names of all the victims of the shooting at the Jefferson tops. He didn't even do that. So he tweeted twice about Uvalde and then went back and was like, Oh shit, I didn't say anything about the people who died in Buffalo had to retweet all of them and then went back to Uvalde. And I don't know that it's because those kids are Latino, but after this experience, I'm not going to rule that out. You know, this, this whole thing, I mean, it's a story about Pat Burke, but really it's not. It's a story about America, man. It's a story about America and how we deal with racism in general and how the people in power deal with racism. Exactly. And that was my that was going to be my point here, Matt, is like this is something where it, Pat Burke is the <laughs> the main character of this story, but truthfully, it's the, you know, the, the white ally or or whatever. Um, sure. It's it's the kind of uh, 
I don't want to say craven, but certainly to have a position one day that, oh, we're going to come out guns ablaze. No pun intended. Uh, yeah, you it's know, hard to stay away from it. Uh, you know, we have so many fucking gun metaphors yeah. in this fucking society. But you're going to come out there just like, yeah, we're going to burn it all down, white supremacy. And then the very next day to say, eh, you know what? I don't want to offend my district. It's like, it's, it is the story of so much of American politics and in how we want to signal that we are going to do the good thing. We want to be viewed as, uh, you know, we think racism is bad and we we want to, you know, stand up against it. And yet when the time comes, the push comes to shove, how we react to it and ultimately having that black voice in the room and having people saying, no, man, you know, and again, the personal details, it's always muddy. These things are always, there's always personal details. There's always like, you know, whatever. But what it looks like at the end of the day is that a black staffer and the people around them said, hey, you know, this is messed up what you did. And that political figure saying, all right, you're gone. Yeah. And and the thing is like, you know, why, why it really yeah. is indicative or, or I think, you know, it exemplifies more than just him is that, you know, Pat was around here at least, um, you know, kind of like, you know, well, viewed as the most progressive, the most progressive, the most leftist Democrat. He wasn't like this, like he wasn't like a 65 year old conservative Democrat who happened to be holding on to us. Not afraid to support Bernie Sanders or or, or, uh, uh, come out in favor of Elizabeth Warren. Uh, You know, he, he did vote in favor of legalizing cannabis, even though it was underwater in his district. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it, it, that he had done something that the other, like we talked about the 142nd and, you know, Bowen and Schroeder and Kearns, who basically had no influence in Albany right. because they wanted to stick by their Maverick status. And he was able to kind of do a, you know, a little bit of the John McCain where, where, like, he could be viewed as a Maverick locally, but he was secretary or is currently secretary of the Democratic Conference in Albany. I wonder if, the, I wonder maybe, if that's still going to be the case. Yeah. So, yeah, we've had... Um, a pretty freewheeling discussion about this. And, uh, you know, we, we took a little break here, listeners, just for your edification. I can't even say that. Sorry. First off, thank you for the listeners for dealing with me sounding like either Daffy Duck or Slavoj Zizek um, <laughs> in these trying times. I will someday learn to speak normally again. But uh, in the meantime, you, you will get this version of Re. Um, but no, it, we have this conversation and, and we wanted you to come on, Matt, and share your story. Again, not to, um, we were saying uh, while we were outside, not to not to shit on Pat, not to turn him into uh, the guy we all hate and want to fuck with or something, but more of that this is a story worth telling in light of, like, this is like, in the grand scheme of things, this is, compared to the tragedy that happened, it's, it's a very minor story, but at the same time, it's the response to the events that happened of our ostensibly, you know, liberal leaning political figures and how they handle those events and how they treat the people around them and how they view and approach the world in action. Like this is the action part yes. of it. This is yes. the call to action. And I think that um, here, somebody even as well-meaning and as, as good, I, I, you know, and I'll say that about Pat as a, again, I view him as a friend. He might never want to look me in the eye or when he does, he'll spit in my face after listening to this episode. But I do view him as a friend. I do view him as a good guy. And ultimately I think his heart and his previous actions have been in the right place. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, like we said about the, the thing with, you know, you shouldn't get health insurance if 
you're not vaccinated. We said that take was wrong because it was dumb as shit and we'll say it. And I think that the way that Pat treated um, you, Matt and Nicole and Brendan, um, it's fucking horseshit. It's stupid and it's pig headed and it's um, rash and ultimately will lead to, I, I don't know if he's going to lose a cedar over this. I don't know, but I do think that it is, it is not a good look at the very least. And at the worst, it is a sign that you are completely out of touch with the moment and with the needs of the people around you in your community. Well, and, and he's been an elected official for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he does have a leadership role in the assembly. You know, he, so, you know, he fancies himself a, a local leader and with good reason, he has earned his position there as far as do that. Sure. So act as a fucking leader, do the things that you're supposed to do as a leader. Like, you know, what drives me crazy is like, you know, the, the left wing, the, the more liberal wing of, of the party or people who are even outside of the Democratic Party who are, are left liberal complain about, you know, Joe Biden and rightly so for a lot of reasons. But Absolutely. fucking Joe Biden showed up in Buffalo and had much stronger words than Pat Burke did Yeah, in, in Pat Burke's hometown. Yeah, and, and, you know, like, not to get in the weeds, obviously Biden owes his victory in the Democratic primary to black voters. Yes, so yeah, I, I it, certainly think mm-hmm. that that's... That that's part of it too, um, and I agree, Reed. That like, that I do think fundamentally that like, Pat's personal values are very similar to mine. Even maybe in some, ca- I mean, in some cases they're, I think he's probably more, you know, liberal. I know we're, we're not going to get to get into the gun conversation here, but that was a thing he and I. I think Jim, it might have even been when you still worked there. He and I had a pretty heated conversation about guns and stuff. Um, so, you know. I, I think his values are in the right place. It, like you said, it's just sometimes good people do the wrong thing or handle a situation poorly. Um, and maybe even for personally like good reasons. I mean, you know, you do get paid being as someone, it's not a volunteer job, you know, mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, it is like the job that pays their bills and mm-hmm. pays the mortgage on the house. So like, but at the end of the day, like you said, Jim, when you're a leader, you know, leaders and especially great leaders, they are willing to, like I said, this idea that you call people to to be greater than they are, even maybe greater than you know they are. You have to, because that's that's how we move the society forward. Mm-hmm. Is that somebody's got to go to the people who are maybe they're well meaning, but they're they're not malicious, but they're apathetic. And you have to go to those people and you have to give them a kick in the ass. You have to be like, you have to do what LBJ did was, you know, sign the civil rights act and say, I just signed away the South for a generation, but it's worth it. Even though LBJ, you know, threw the N word around all the time, he, he knew segregation was wrong and knew that if they were going to lose votes to do the right thing, even though it was a political calculation and they would gain votes from blacks that like they had to do the right thing because it was the right thing. And, um, at the end of the day, that's, I think all we, we ask for from our elected officials. And the truth is when I talk to, to people probably like you guys do people who are less involved in politics, people who are very cynical, I tell them all the time, really like I think 90% of the people are well-meaning, you know, Mm -hmm. they really do. Even if I think their ideas are horrible. I mean, I I certainly think most Republicans in particular, I I do think they are actively, you know, engaged in things that they know are negative and are going to hurt people. But especially the people who work in these offices, you know, like we showed up there every day for eight hours because I know their names. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. And any decent elected official, if a guy comes into your my office 
you know, he comes in your office three times a week trying to get help with his unemployment. You should probably know that guy's name. You should have sent a fax already to somebody to say, hey, can you get this guy's fucking money, please, that he's owed? Um, and and like you said, it's it's just, it's going to come off as a fuck pat piece, and I, I think I probably said as much earlier, but again, that's, that's because, like you said, it, it did get personal. It, it stopped being a work thing, and I am still, you know, it's a head on a swivel thing, like, there's a Gucci main song where he references that by all means necessary. Uh, he says that, you know, uh, like Malcolm X, I'm peeping out the blinds. Don't care if it's 900 niggas outside. And like, that's what I'm doing. You know, I don't, I have contacts now, so I don't wear my, uh, club masters anymore, but I used to have a pair and, um, I, I am, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm, you know, worried about my sisters and checking the cameras all the time. And that's why I'm angry, mm-hmm. but, the story needs to be told anyway, because ultimately there's behavior from our elected officials that we, that can be tolerated. Sometimes you do have to make a calculated decision, but this is something where you have to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And, and listener, if this is all a little bit in, too inside baseball, this story, I know you love gossip. I know you love drama. Okay. <laughs> there are people who listen to our show who aren't even really political people, but you, you love the gossip folks. You love the drama. I know you. And this is full of juicy gossip drama. It's got it all really. I mean, yeah. aside from being an important story, just, you know, for the casual listener out there, we know what you like to. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I, what I just want to close on is, you know, because it's, it's really irked me how, you know, Pat pointed out that when anybody's talked to him, like, well, they should have known, you know, my history in these past 10 years. And, and I brought it up a couple of times because it's bothered me because I was like, look, all the stuff that you've done up until now, microbeads, you know, or like voting to legalize marijuana. Pence what, bill or whatever. Well, okay. I mean, the Pence bill is, is I mean, it's important. It's Don't a, get me that's wrong. A, that's important. But this is probably the most important thing. I, I mean, mean this, this is the most important thing that's happened in Buffalo. I mean, at least uh, since they opened the fucking canal. I mean, since they opened the canal, I mean, you know, some people would say since Steele left, but I mean, right. since McKinley got assassinated, right. I think is an easy thing to say. Like, this is, you know, we're on the map normally every year for snow and the bills being bad and now the bills being good. Right. And, and this is a story where not only are people talking about Buffalo, because most of the time when people talk about Buffalo, they're talking about snow and the bills, which means they're talking about the South Towns. Right. They're talking about Orchard Park. They're talking about Hamburg. Right. Talking about Ellicottville. Now they're talking about the east side of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a long time since somebody's talked about the east side of Buffalo. Probably nobody's talked about it since they since it got burned down in the sixties. Yeah. Yep. So, so uh, uh, by the way, uh, um, I'm not going to give out uh, email addresses, but check in on Deed because I'm sure Pat Burke is hiring right now. So you know, f- feel free to get your resume over to them. Yeah, that's true. If it sounds <laughs> like um, if it sounds if, like a place. If that after you'd... listening to this, you're like, man, that sounds like the work environment for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, be my guest. Well, that's Matt Deering on the square. Matt, where can the listeners find you if they want to find you on social media? Um, really, I just got, I have a Twitter that I just really kind of resurrected considering people have been trying to find me. So it's at MT Deering on Twitter. And um, and that's really it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will probably mostly post about NASCAR and the Formula One, but uh, there will be some political stuff there too so keep your eyes peeled and uh yeah i i think this was a very interesting conversation i appreciate you guys for having me on and to the listeners i appreciate you for uh listening to me drone on for as long as i have about uh about this story but i uh, look forward to coming back and talking about things that are 
more intellectually stimulating. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have a, we'll have a broad, we'll have broader conversations with you, Matt. I think we um, we we ran out of time a little bit, but we also yeah. wanted to make sure that that this story got told and it got it got given justice. I know you've given interviews with other outlets. Um, we like to think of ourselves as uh, you know. We're not the news. We're, we're more in the infotainment, but I do think that sure. we try to give um, a fair shake and allow people to speak freely mm-hmm. and for ourselves to speak freely. That's why we're not, you know, the Buffalo News or something. We're, we're just some guys in a basement drinking beer, but at the same time, guys in a basement drinking beer need to have these conversations too. Well, and the truth is most, I think most politics in this country is guys maybe in a living room and not in a basement mm-hmm. drinking beer and talking about what's going on. And, um, you know, these are the kinds of conversations that people... People need to keep having, and you guys got a great platform, and I uh, appreciate you giving me some of your time. All right. Well, thanks again, Matt, and thanks, Matt. Thanks, everybody. 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 Thanks, everybody.